Lord, we know the way we got that joy. It was only through your focus. It was only through you going through the pain that you needed to go through in order to give us the victory that we have that joy. So tonight, as we study your word, we ask you to put that part of your word into our lives that will help us have that kind of focus and discipline. We pray this in your name. Amen. Please be seated. I will remind you where we are. Jesus is preaching to us the greatest sermon on holiness ever preached. The Sermon on the Mount. And he's about to go into, as Matthew records it, his conclusion. Let me tell you, give you a little review of where we've had, because it's really a shocking, shocking challenge. It was recorded in the fifth chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus' deepening of religion. And he said to us, look, I know that religion tells you that you ought not to kill. Well, that's as good as far as it goes, but I'm going to tell you what. You ought not even to be angry. Can you imagine living a life without anger? Can you imagine that kind of life? When he said, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, can you imagine the depth of that kind of righteousness? Then he goes on. And he says, you know, the Bible says, or it says, you've heard it said of old, and religions tell you, you shall not commit adultery. He said, that's as good as far as it goes, but I tell you what, you, you, you shouldn't even lust. Can you imagine living a life without ever lusting? Wow. And then he goes on. He says, I know you got enemies, you know, religions make things for enemies and, and they make room. And, and, but I'm telling you what, whereas you have enemies, I want you to pray for them. I want you to love them like you love everybody else. Now it's getting painful in here if you're, if you're really listening to this stuff. Can you imagine going through life praying for the people who hurt you? And then he goes into the sixth chapter and talks about the, the religious practices. He says, every religion tells you to give. Yeah, go ahead and give. But it said, I tell you what I want from you. Here's what I want. I want you to be of such a giving nature that you don't even realize when you're giving. Your right hand doesn't even know what your left hand's doing because that's just a part of who you are. I know you, you give and you feel good about it. I, I don't even want you to notice it because that's who you are. <laughs> and then he goes on and he, he says, and, and, and I want you to pray. All religions tell you to pray. Religion's good, tells you to pray. That's good. But then I don't want you to worry about it anymore. Can you imagine going through life without ever being anxious for anything? Every time you start to be anxious, you go, oh, wait a minute. <sighs> okay. And then, and then he goes in, in, in the seventh chapter, and he says, and I know you to be critical people. So I, I tell you what, religion tells you not to be critical, and, and you shouldn't be, but I'm telling you what, I, I want you, every time you start to criticize someone else to improve yourself. <laughs> Boy, wouldn't we be great if we did that? And then he comes to the end, and you can tell Jesus was never in the marketing business because he doesn't sugarcoat anything. He says, let me tell you what this is going to take. It's going to take very severe discipline. It's going to take a very limited, focused way. 
Let me ask you this. Have you ever known anybody who drifted their way into greatness? Any kind of greatness? It seems that no matter what you have inside, even if you've got the right stuff inside, there still is required of all of us, if we want to live the greatest life that Jesus has just told about us, told, told us about, it, it, it's required that we go through the discipline over and over and over again of centering our lives on that gift that's been given to us. That's what's happened with all great athletes. Michael Jordan didn't get to be Michael Jordan because he was good at basketball. He centered his life around that day after day, week after week, year after year. You cannot find a great artist that got to be good at what they were doing. They got to be great at what they were doing because of their native talent. Got here this morning. Three bucks, two bags, one me. This is it, the big apple. I've got the talent to make it here. I am going to be the greatest actress that ever lived. God has blessed me with a talent, and I know I'm called to use it. Excuse me, sir. Are these the auditions to be on Broadway? Uh, yeah, they are, yeah. You're new in town, aren't you? Yes. I have a talent, and I know I'm called to use it. I'm going to be the greatest actress that ever lived. You are? Oh, that's great. Uh, <clears throat> how are you going to do that? Because I'm so talented. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I didn't ask if you had the talent to be the greatest actress who ever lived. I said exactly how are you going to do that? Well, people will see my talent, and they will want me to star in great dramas and wonderful comedies. Mm-hmm. You see all the people in line here for this audition today? There's, oh, what, 200 people here? Now, I think probably every one of these people have talent, but do you know who's going to get the starring role? Me. Yeah, maybe. But uh, if I were a director and I were going to pick an actress to star in my Broadway play, I'd you pick would some... pick the person with the most talent, and that would be me. Yeah, I, I, I'd want him to be talented, sure. But I so I'd, I'd want him to be able to uh, create a character, analyze a script, uh, work well with the others. Uh, uh, but what about star to... quality? What about talent? Star quality, talent. Um, Look down there. See that girl at the end with the, with the blue? Now, that girl just graduated from Juilliard. Three years she was there studying uh, acting, uh, dance, voice technique. Now, in those three years, do you think her star quality, her talent, increased or diminished? Well, I don't know, never having seen her before. But I do know this. You can't teach talent. you got to be born with that. And I was born to be an actress. Yeah, look, it's my turn. Um, good luck being the greatest actress who ever lived. <laughs> NYC, 
give you fair warning. It's NYC and me. So, uh, what do you think our chances are? You see, her understanding is that if you have the right stuff inside, eventually you can be the greatest ever. And you and I know differently. There is such a thing as being born with talent. People have gifts. But we all know that those gifts don't naturally do anything if not developed. Now, Jesus would say this to us. If that is true in the natural realm, how much more is it true in the spiritual realm? If you cannot expect to be great at anything, without tons of discipline and practice, no matter how much talent you have, how do you think you will be Christ-like? Even though you've been saved. You see, once you're born again, you have the stuff inside. You have Christ living inside. But if it's that difficult in the natural world, to develop greatness. When you know all the rules and how the natural world works, how difficult is it to develop Christ-likeness in the world when so much of the spiritual life is the opposite of how the world lives? No, Jesus said many, many times, how much more difficult is it? And so that's why he begins this last section with a very severe saying. If you have your scriptures with you, you might want to turn to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. This is what he says. Enter by the narrow gate. Now, I've been telling you that in the past few weeks he's been using the present verb tense. And that, in Greek, calls for a continuous or repeated action. Enter by the narrow gate is in the aorist tense. It's a one-time thing. And when he says, enter by the narrow gate, he's talking about getting saved. He says, in, in John 10, Jesus says, I'm the door. I'm the gate. And you just enter one time. I know people who get saved all the time. You don't need to get saved all the time. One time. One time. That's it. You can't be a little bit saved or kind of saved any more than you're a little pregnant. You're either, preg you're either saved or not saved. And once you go to Christ, and once you say, you know what? There's nothing in me that deserves heaven. I cannot, I cannot be good enough to go to heaven. I need the forgiveness that you won for me on the cross. And I accept the unmerited favor of God's grace through your sacrifice, and I want you to come and live in my life and pay for my sins. Once you say that and you mean it, you're saved. That's a one-time deal. But it's a very deliberate choice. You don't drift into salvation. You aren't born a Christian. I hear people say, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. There was a time... When you gave your life to Christ or you're not a Christian, 
And so therefore, he says, enter one time by the narrow door. I've heard people say, isn't that exclusionary? Isn't that terrible? Well, let me ask you. You're standing in a burning building. And somebody comes and says, here's the door. It's this way to safety. All you got to do is walk through. Do you think to yourself, how negative? How arrogant? Isn't that exclusionary? Not if you're smart. You say, thanks for showing me the door. And you run through it. The world is burning up. I mean, this thing's going down. And Jesus says, I'm giving you a very clear way here. It's the only way out. You don't stand in a burning building and say, hmm, that's very narrow. Let me see if there's any other. I I wonder, let me see. Uh, You really ought to provide more doors in this place. (laughs) This is good news. This isn't bad news. This is generosity. This is not stinginess. This is truth. This is not arrogance. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. And then he says something that we know to be true. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. You know what? If you want to destroy your life, there are a thousand ways you can do it. I mean, there's a million ways you can do it. As a matter of fact, any way you choose to do is good enough. It, it, It says in Scripture that we were all like sheep going our own way. All had wandered off into our own way. So if you're going to get lost, any old way is fine. And he says, many are those who enter it. How many people do you know who will not make a commitment in their life because they don't know exactly what's going to take place in the future? And they say, I can't make this commitment because you don't know how the future is going to turn out. They say, I can't become a Christian because I don't know what I'll be like in the future. And they live their life thinking the greatest freedom and the greatest responsibility is to stay free to make a choice as it comes along. You know what they've just chosen to do? Go the easy way. Go the easy way. They don't have to make a commitment. They don't have to work toward anything. They can just kind of hang loose. But that is also the way of confusion. I was reading an article this week in the latest uh, uh, Harvard Business Review. I love to uh, read this magazine. It's a very good quality. And they were talking about building a strategy in uncertain times for corporations. And they discerned four levels of uncertainty in the world that we live in for corporations. The, the first level is, look, I, I, I know there's, there's still some uncertainty out there, but I'm sure enough to make a decision. And any residual uncertainty is irrelevant because I know what I, I'm going to do. I know what I want to do. I'm going to do it. The second level of uncertainty is, well, I, I, you know, I don't know exactly what it's going to turn out like, but I know there are maybe two or three possibilities. Therefore, I will arrange my business or my decisions to be flexible enough to, to, to specifically meet any one of these three possibilities. That gives you a little bit more leading. The, the third level of uncertainty says, well, there's a range of, of things that I know uh, uh, could happen. And I don't know exactly what's going to happen out there, but I know this isn't going to happen. This is very unlikely. That's not going to happen. I don't have to worry about that. But there's a range here, and so I've got to be ready for this range, whatever falls within this range. It gives you a little bit more. Uh, uh, or, uh, not, not so much as this, but, but, but a little bit more 
um, planning ability than the last one, which is true ambiguity, that says, I have no clue what's going to happen and no way to figure it out. Now, if I were to ask you, not in terms of a corporation, but in terms of your life, which of these levels of strategy for life do you operate on? Which do you assume to be, for your personal life, a strategy you can use? How many of you would be at the second level that said, well, I don't know exactly what's going to turn out. I can't, I got to kind of stay a little loose here, but I know like there's two or three possibilities, depending on what God does, depending on who he brings to me, depending on what he does. I, I got to be ready for this. I got to be ready for that. I got to be ready for that. Or how many of you know, well, it's, it's within a range. I don't know how, I don't know how my life's, I don't know how it's going to be 10 years from now, but it's in a, in a certain range. I know that I'm not going to, I know me, I'm not going to go on heroin. I'm not going to get AIDS. I'm not going to do all that stuff. I, I know myself well enough, but, but I don't know where it's going to fall in this range. So I've really got to stay really free to be adjust, to, to, adjust, uh, to anything that's going to come along and just kind of look for it. And how many of you would say, I don't, I don't know I don't have a clue. I couldn't even begin to plan the future. I've just got, to, just got to make what I think is the right decision every day. Do you realize that what Jesus gives you here is level one confidence? Do you realize, he says, you have enough information, enough certainty to plan your future? And anything that is uncertain in the future, a residual uncertainty, is really irrelevant to your progress in security. If you choose Christ, you know where that's going to lead. You understand, do you not, we're all going to die. Can I get some agreement on that? I mean, if you don't agree to that, you're just being cantankerous. You just came in here to be, you know, to be ornery, and you're not going to learn anything tonight. But if we could all just agree, we're all going to die. Now, after we die, there's either a judgment or there isn't. And if there's a judgment, there's either hell or heaven. And if you end up in heaven, you know perfectly well what kind of life you would love to look back and say, I'm glad I lived that kind of life. There's no uncertainty in that. You can choose, and many of you already have, the direction for your life and any residual uncertainty is not one that is going to knock you off course, nor is it one going to destroy your life and keep you in limbo. If the, if the stock market crisis next week, had a little blip this week, didn't we? Got a little uneasy, some of you, didn't you? But you know what? If the stock market crashes next week, if your focus is Jesus Christ, it really won't matter to you because you will live the same kind of life poor as you did rich. And you will get just as much fulfillment out of it poor. It may be tougher. You may be eating beans instead of steak. But bean-eating Christians are just as good as steak-eating Christians. <laughs> you know? Sometimes better. Because I got everything in perspective. There may be a terrible tragedy happen in your life. There may be somebody that you love very much die in, 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 in a surprise, and you may not know how to deal with that. You may not know why that happened. And you may have terrible hurt 
such hurt that you don't know that you could ever love again like you love that person. But even in that dire circumstance, if your focus is Jesus Christ, you will be on the rock and you will proceed and you will feel his love and he will send his resources and you still know where you're going and you still know what kind of life you're going to live. All of the uncertainties become irrelevant if you choose Jesus Christ continually. You don't need to live in uncertainty and instability. And so Jesus says, you know, there's a lot of people out there who are, who are, who are on the road to destruction. The, the Greek word here is perdition. And it means being in outer darkness, kind of not knowing where you're going, just wandering around without Christ. And people believe that that's really the easiest way. That's not easy. That's confusing. That's distracting. You live, in, you live in total distraction. If you have your scriptures with you, let me show you a scripture. Luke chapter 10, starting with verse 38. I want, you to show, I want to show you how most of us live. You've read this scripture many times. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now, Jesus is the guest of Martha. I mean, he has, she has brought him in in order to pay attention to him. Look what happens as soon as he comes in. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's word seated at his feet. It's Mary who's focusing on Jesus. Look what Martha's doing. But Martha was distracted. Many people who start out with Christ... Get distracted. Martha was distracted. With all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? Now let me, let me show you what happens to all of us. When we do not stay focused on Christ, we just start handling everything as it comes in. We just start saying, okay, okay, everything looks equally important. And we get distracted. How many of you can even name right now six things you did last week? Why? Because you're trying to handle everything. Some of you, some of you, when you, when, you re, when you get a newspaper, you feel like it's your duty to read the whole thing. I mean, I mean, the whole thing. That's not being informed, that's being nosy. <laughs> you don't have to read the whole newspaper. Go read what you want. And then go do what you need to. And so here's Martha, just distracted by everything. Oh, I gotta do all, I gotta do all this. And when we do that, we have no reserve. And when we have no reserve, we get mad at God. And we start to blame it on God. Lord, do you not care? What's up with this? I'm running on fumes here. Do you not care? And then we're just two steps away from blaming it on somebody else. Because we don't get God to say, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> and so we start blaming it on other people. She said, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Now, what do we do when we, get, when we start getting frantic? We start saying, why is so-and-so doing this? 
I mean, they can do this as well as I can. Why are they not coming? Do they not see me in need? Why are they not coming alongside of me? And the next step to that is ordering God around. Look at this. She says, then tell her to help me. She's talking to Jesus. Tell you what I want you to do, Jesus. Tell her to help me. By this time, we're so worn out, so drained, so frantic, we're ordering God. We're not only mad at God, mad at everybody else. We're, we're, tell, we're telling him what to do. The rules have been reversed here. And then Jesus looks at her. And I can imagine, I imagine he just sees her running all around. And he's thinking to himself, how does she do that? I, and, and I'm sure he does the same thing when he sees you. Wow. Why would they live like that? <laughs> and it says, the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. He says it twice. Like, hello. Are you in there? He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. <laughs> but only a few things are necessary. Would you hear those words of Jesus this week? I want you to hear those words. Every time you get friends, only a few things are necessary. Only a few things. Really, he says, only one. He says, Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. In other words, as long as Mary lives in heaven, she will never regret what she's doing right now. Do you know that we can live that kind of life if we stay focused on Christ, that every event of our day we can discern what will contribute to our relationship with Christ and what will distract from our relationship with Christ every day. And the stuff that we do that contributes to our relationship with Christ, we will never be sorry for. It will never be taken from us. And the stuff that we do that doesn't contribute to our or somebody else's relationship with Christ will be burned up. It'll be gone. It will be taken from us. It's that simple. Why is it that we believe that freedom is a matter of staying open to the choice of the moment. That's not freedom. That is immaturity. Jesus says, look, you've got to focus here. And you've got to be faithful to the decisions you've already made. You know as well as I do that immaturity is a matter of having an attention span about this long. I, I, I came back, I was riding back from Dallas this week, and uh, um, I, I got in a middle seat. I hate middle seats on airplanes. I don't know why, when I walk up to the counter, they just don't say, well, Mr. Hunter, your shoulders are so big, we're going to put you on an aisle. <laughs> so anyhow, I go down to the middle seat. I look at the guy on my right. I think he literally played grumpy in Snow White. I mean, this guy looks like he has about five ingrown toenails, and the beverage cart has just run over his foot, literally. He is not a happy camper. 
trying to make conversation with this guy. I mean, he's, right, he's about ready to, 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 to implode. He is so grumpy. And on my left was 14-month-old Tanner. And his very tired mother. Do you know how long it takes to fly from Dallas to Orlando? <laughs> Forever! <laughs> Tanner took a liking to me. So for however many zillion hours it was, we played. And playing with Tanner, I've forgotten what, I mean, Mike, I've forgotten what a 14-month-old is like. It's like, all energy everywhere at once, happy, sad. Here, give me this toy. No, give me it. No, I want to play. Anyway, you're I want to play. It was all, was, like that. I'm thinking to myself, I know adults like this. As a matter of fact, that pretty well describes any guy with a channel changer. attention span about that. The point is, the point is, that's not maturity. Maturity is the ability to focus on one thing until it becomes great. Until you become great. Maturity isn't wandering around in confusion. I was in Indianapolis last week and I, and I heard a sermon. That poor thing, I felt so sorry for the preacher. Preacher was, was preaching on Job, and I think that I, I, I was trying to figure out what the preacher was trying to say. And the only thing I could get out of it was he was trying, it, it was trying to make us feel okay about being confused. It's okay to be confused. God understands. And I'm sitting there thinking, is this all this preacher has to say? Uh, my brother-in-law is sitting on my left-hand side. My brother-in-law is a preacher. My son is sitting on my right-hand side. My son's a preacher. My brother-in-law leans over to my son and says this, Isaac, when you preach, it would be nice if you had one point. <laughs> God did not come here to make us feel better about our confusion. He has something more solid Something more focused, something greater to give to us. And that is the discipline of developing his character in us. And so he says, you know what's required? Verse 14, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. There are very many people who do not want to exclude anything from their lives, who do not want to pre-decide anything. But I'm telling you, unless you do, unless you can take it through a grid of, does this fit with what will make me Christ-like, or does it not? If, unless you're willing to do that, you will wander around. Jesus says, I'm giving you something very clear to concentrate on every day. Now, this does not make you narrow-minded. Being narrow is not the same thing as being narrow-minded. It isn't. There, there, are, there are very many people in the church that get confused about this. They think it's holy to be narrow-minded. They think unless you're doing it their way, 
then you're not doing it. They can't cite scripture. It's not based on scripture. It's just this method is not good. It's modern. You know, it's not the same thing. There are a lot of people who are going to be so surprised when they get to heaven. You know that? Wow. Yeah, I, I, you, you've heard the old joke about, about St. Peter taking the people through a tour of heaven. It's an old one. He's taking people. He's saying, oh, there's a, isn't it interesting, the big building, the, and the, 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 all the wonderful things. And they get on the edge of this one building. He goes, shh. And they finally get and they start walking. Somebody in the crowd said, what was that all about? He said, that's where the Baptists live. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> now, now, this is not, you could take any denomination, put it in there. You could take a whole slew of people in this church, put them in there. This is about being narrow-minded. You, 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 it's not the same thing as being narrow-minded. There are a lot of resources that we can use to be included. Becky got a call. I'm, I'm going to be finished in a minute. Becky got a call uh, at the Fit for the Journey. That's the radio uh, uh, ministry that, that uh, puts the messages out, my messages. And, and this guy called her and says, I love this stuff. This is great. He says, where are you guys located? In California? He says, she said, no, Orlando. And, and he says, oh, I've never been to Orlando. Of course, I've never been very many places. He says, I love this stuff. He said, what are you guys, uh, what denomination thing? And, uh, and she said, well, we're non-denominational. We've got a whole spectrum of folks. And he says, well, what, like, what theology? Well, like, what background? He said, well, she said, Hunter, he used to be Methodist, and now he teaches at Reformed Theological Seminary. I mean, it's all, it's all over the spectrum here. He goes, oh, that's so great. He goes, I'm Amish. <laughs> Becky said, what? He said, yeah. Voice quiet. I'm Amish. He, guess I, he says, I guess I'm kind of liberal Amish. <laughs> <laughs> he says, I'm trying to get all my friends to listen to this. He says, but they won't listen to the radio. You know how Amish people are. <laughs> He said, so I want the tape. You sent me the tape, and I'll put it on. I'll, I'll, I'll carry it around and make them listen to it. He was so excited. He said, you come visit us. My wife loves company. I give you a buggy ride. You come see it. <laughs> you don't have to be narrow-minded to gather in the resources that God has for you to focus on Christ. But you do have to be narrow in your focus and faithful to that focus. The Christ life is not natural in this world. There are many forces that would change your mind, that would distract you. But God has given all of us a clear way to develop into the unbelievable people that have the characteristics we never thought we could have if we just keep our focus for a long time. Pray with me. God, thank you that this is not complicated. It is simple. It is not easy. But it is simple. Thank you that you have not only given us the door that is salvation, but you have also allowed us
to concentrate on that door every day of our lives, not to be saved again, but to be holy. Lord, help us to not be converted just once. We are saved once, but help us be converted every day. We pray in Jesus' name.